Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Monday. Back to school, back to work we go. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Look around and you'll see 
No, we are not starting over again. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where that came from, frankly. I really don't. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, Benny Elbaz, he named Mato Humanaim Shevet Achim Gamiachad. Bring the house down. It's Avram Freed. You heard the uh, cast of uh, Deer Shoe with Sharetzion. Shimcha done by Gershon Veroba. Mayor Sherman's. Monday morning theme song, Masecha Hashem, and of course, Regesh Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. Welcome to a Monday on this December the 9th, day 11 in the month of Kislev, the year 5780, Tuf I think today is Yonina Siegel's birthday. Is it the 11th or 13th of Kislev? Oh, I can't remember now. One of them is her birthday. <laughs> 44 degrees outside with 95% humidity. Winds in northeast at four miles per hour. Rain today, tonight, tomorrow. Uh, 55 today, 61 tomorrow. Right now we're at 53 in Yerushalayim. We're at 44 here in New York City as we say good morning 
at JM in the AM. Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, who is being uh, honored tomorrow night by Artura Stone and who is the Chancellor Emeritus of Artura Stone, is going to join us this morning here at JM in the AM. We are very, very much looking forward to that conversation. Uh, it's all happening this morning, about 8 o'clock this morning, right here at JM in the AM. So make sure to be tuned in. Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, he'll be in today. Uh, Gedalia Zlotowicz, Rabbi Gedalia Zlotowicz on Wednesday. As we get set to announce with Gedalia, the uh, Art Scroll major announcements for Hanukkah and for the Siyam Ashas. That's all happening Wednesday here at JM in the AM. And Miriam Pascal, I am told, is going to be in our studio on Thursday with her brand new cookbook. There's a lot happening here. There's a lot going on. And I'm glad you're here to uh, be along for all of it. It's much appreciated. Hope your weekend was amazing. Hope you had a chance to tune in some of our great programming. And now welcome to a Monday here at JM in the AM as we continue with Mordechai Shapiro at JM in the AM.
Yerushalayim, 
J.M. in the A.M. Then Omar done by Eitan Katz. Joey Newcomb before that with Keely Olam Chazdo. Uh, listener Schwiger, who's being honored tonight at the uh, big dinner down in Florida. She says, uh, that says it all, Keely Olam Chazdo. The Young Israel Kehilas Ava Shalom has their gala dinner tonight, and the guests of honor are Rabbi Ira and Sina Eisenman, or as we know them, Listener Sina and Mr. Listener Sina. In addition, are by David and Rebetzin Miriam Lairfield and are by Noach and Rebetzin Chana Peled, all being recognized tonight at the dinner happening at the Beth Torah Highland Lakes in Florida. And we wish everybody a very special Mazel Tov, especially to the guests of honor, Rabbi Ira and Sina Eisenman, from all of us here at JM in the AM. You heard Simcha Liner with Lecha and Rise Up, Ir Shel Zahav done by Avi Peret, Shlomo Katz in there with Tfilas L'chaim, and one in a million that was performed by Mordechai Shapiro. It's Monday. We are having trouble with our feed from Israel, unfortunately. So we'll skip our news segment and go uh, directly to the next hour at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. A big shout-out going out to Gotta Get a Bagel. Hello, all. All staff, all customers, all diners at Gotta Get a Bagel out in Woodmere. Rumor has it that they're blasting the Nahum Single Network and JM and the AM for all their customers who are coming in and out and uh, enjoying a delicious breakfast this morning. So Gotta Get a Bagel, we say thank you and a big hello to Joel and his entire staff from America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Round the world, the web, and AchimSingle.com, and the AchimSingle Network, and of course, the beloved NSN app.
again, again, all Eretz Yisrael. Yad Ramah Nazdiya, Le-Yerushalayim. Kafal, Kafal, Kaf Nariya, Ad Yavo Goel. Basof Yered Mikdash, Mehashamayim. Kafal, Kafal, Kaf Chazak, Nishmor Al Shearayich. Le-Olam, Lo Nevater, Lo Nevater Alayich.
Okay. 
JM in the AM with Yaakov Shweki. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Yaakov Shweki and Am Yisrael. There he is with uh, that great selection. Chazan Etanel Hershtik with Havdullah. You heard Lipa to open up the hour with Kaf Al Kaf. Monday morning, it's December the 9th, the 11th of Kislev. We say good morning with 44 degrees and plenty of rain here in New York. Uh, rain in Yushalayim as well, by the way. I saw some of the Facebook posts. Hello there, listener Simon. Uh, 53 in Yushalayim with some rain. We're at 44, expected to be in the 50s uh, today and tonight um, here in New York City. At JM in the AM. Well, as we said earlier, Mazal Tov to Rabbi Ira and Sina Eisenman that are guests of honor tonight for the young Israel Kehila Ava Shalom down in Florida. We wish we could be there. Boy, do we wish we could be there for the big celebration. And we know that plenty of uh, family and friends will, in fact, be there to pay tribute to them and to celebrate with them. Rabbi Riskin's coming in. His dinner is tomorrow night, the uh, tw- 2019 annual dinner in Hachnasah Sefer Torah. Happens tomorrow night at the Museum of Jewish Heritage downtown. Rabbi Riskin is expected in our studio this morning here at JM and the M. And boy, am I looking forward to that. He is expected here at the JM and the AM later this morning. Tish James, the Attorney General of New York State, is going to join us. Spoke with her over the weekend. We have that conversation for you coming up. Here at JM and the AM. Also, keep in mind that this coming Thursday, Gedalia, uh, this coming Wednesday, rather, Rabbi Gedalia Zlotowitz, the uh, president of uh, Art Scroll Masora, is going to be in our studio. We'll talk about Hanukkah. We'll talk about the CMS Shas. We'll talk about all the plans that Art Scroll has now that we've begun 5780. Uh, Rabbi Gedalia Zlotowitz in studio this coming Wednesday morning here at JM in the AM. Speaking of Art Scroll. There's the brand new Kids Cooking with Chef Shiri. Kids Cooking with Chef Shiri. When you use the promo code radio, you get 15% off and free shipping in the U.S. Kids Cooking with Chef Shiri. 15% off, free shipping in the U.S. If you use the promo code radio, go to artscroll.com, use the promo code radio, and enjoy. Don't forget our summer, our summer. Don't forget our December, just the opposite of summer. Our December on the road is brought to you by Aaron's Casita Farms of um, of uh, of Queens and Aaron's West Orange. We are uh, we are uh, in the aftermath of our on the road in Woodmere. That great show last Tuesday had got to get a bagel. Coming up, we have shows in Brooklyn, West Orange, Teaneck. Lots of stuff coming up between now and the end of December. All the on-the-road material, all the on-the-road presentations are sponsored by our friends at Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens and Aaron's West Orange in West Orange, New Jersey. And uh, we thank them and recommend to everybody to get out there and to enjoy both of those amazing supermarkets. More coming up. You're listening to a Monday morning edition of JM in the AM.
JM in the AM. That comes from Ohad, Rock HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Listener Daniel says, happy birthday to carpooler Kobe, uh, part of the AJA Rainy Carpool number 255. And they all say Shavuot Tovin. Good morning. Thank you, guys. Trucker Yitz is out there. Um, Avi wants to know who the who the Havdalah was done by. That was uh, Cantor Natanel Hirschnick and the Maccabees uh, with us here at JMNAM. Well, over the weekend, I had a chance to speak to the Honorable Letitia James, New York State Attorney General. Many of you are aware of the uh, case in Chester, New York, the discrimination case that she is uh, spearheading. And uh, here's what that sounded like. For you at JM in the AM. JM in the AM on a Monday morning broadcast. And with us uh, via telephone is the uh, Honorable Letitia James, the um, Attorney General of the state of New York. And uh, many of you are aware of the fact uh, that, as far as our community is concerned, she was part of a very, very big news story and an important news story last week. We get a chance to speak with her about that. Uh, Tish James, and I do have permission from a couple of years ago when you allowed it. I have permission to call you that. Welcome to JM and the AM. Thank you so much, Malcolm. You can call me Tish anytime. <laughs> you and I are friends. We have a long history. I, I appreciate allowing me to be on the show this morning. I appreciate that very much. And I remind you that when you're at the Celebrate Israel Parade, our booth is the most vocal, demanding that you run for mayor of New York. And you also, and you also know, in all seriousness, I mean, I'm serious about that. But you also know, in all seriousness, that you, n- nobody knew when you first came into office what direction you would take your uh, uh, your tenure to. And of course, uh, you, you've ended up being at this point Attorney General of New York State. And uh, and we wondered, we wondered what type of leader you would be. And you have become one of the most inclusive leaders in the history of New York, as far as we're concerned. And that's one of the reasons we keep pushing you to to run for mayor. We need a lot of inclusion, a lot of unity, a lot of togetherness, and I laud you for that. And I really appreciate that. Um, but as you know, as a former city council member who represented um, Fort Greene, Clinton Hill, Prospect Heights, but most um, uh, the community that is really close to my heart is Crown Heights. Yep. And so um, uh, I'm an honorary Lubavitch, as you know, um, <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm very close to the Blavich community, to the Jewish community, not only in Crown Heights, but in Williamsburg and in Borough Park. And it's my responsibility and a duty now, just as I was as a city council member, to uh, protect the Jewish community in Crown Heights and now all throughout the state of New York. It's really critically important. And that's why we took action against the town of Chester and Orange County and why I'm concerned about, most recently, what, um, what happened on Long Island and the rise in anti-Semitic attacks not only in Brooklyn, but all across the state of New York and our nation. And so we've got to stand together. It's really critically important. No question of, together. No question about it, and we appreciate you being out there. And we'll bother you about the mayor thing, but not anymore today. Uh, New York State Attorney General Letitia James is intervening in a developer's $100 million federal discrimination lawsuit against the town of Chester. In Thursday's statement, you said, taking action to fight discriminatory housing practices at the town of Chester in Orange County have utilized to prevent members of the Jewish community from moving to Chester. She filed a motion against the town and county alleging they've engaged in a concerted and systematic effort to prevent Hasidic Jewish families from moving to Chester by blocking the construction of a housing development. Had you become aware of this, and was it difficult to, to jump into action and take the action you've taken? Well, during the campaign, I traveled all throughout the state of New York, and particularly in Orange County and in Brockland County and upstate. You know, as you know, um, I'm, you know, I'm uh, sort of a, 
a known entity in New York City, having run for public advocate citywide. Yep. Uh, but it, they, most individuals did not know me as well on in upstate New York and on Long Island and Westchester. And so I had to really focus on those areas that had no idea, no, um, had just, they, they didn't know who I was and what I stood for and what I believed in. And so when I went to Orange County and when I went to Rockland County, when I visited during the campaign, I heard about these stories. I heard about um, the, 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 the fact that they were putting up roadblocks to the development. And I heard about some of the anti-Semitic remarks. And in fact, I was at some events where individuals expressed concerns uh, concerned about the, you know, the growing Orthodox community in, in um, Rockland and Orange County. And so I knew that um, there were tensions, but I had no idea that it would get to this level where individuals and town officials would engage, would engage in a systematic and a concerted effort to block development of housing um, in Chester um, and by a, an Orthodox developer um, and would put all of these roadblocks in his way to build much-needed affordable housing uh, for the growing community of Chester and Orange County. Is any of this within the law? Like, is this going to be difficult to, to move forward with, or it's clear-cut that this is what's been happening? It's a clear-cut, and when you, when you get to um, believe, they said this openly. They were pretty blatant about their, their, their bias and their hatred. Um, some individuals basically said, we've got to do whatever we can to keep the Jews out. Um, and comments like that, which were on the record, um, and it's also, you know, a lot of the roadblocks that they put in the way of the developer were clearly in violation of the Fair Housing Act, um, such as uh, to delay and prevent the construction. They limited the size of the houses being built. They levied taxes on on residents of the green. They stated, as I mentioned, that um, that the town intended to buy properties to quote-unquote keep the Hasidic out. Right. They limited the hours of construction that would occur at the site. They mandated that a new sewer waste line be rerouted. They required that the main road in the development be by 10 feet. They requested that the Department of Health reconsider a permit granted to the prior developer to provide water to um, the project. So all of these things, um, you know, on their face suggested and indicated that there was religious animus, mm-hmm. and it's really it's just in violation of the fair housing laws as well as the equal protection law, and that's why we decided to intervene on behalf of the state of New York to send a strong message to individuals that st- discrimination will not be tolerated anywhere in the state of New York, not while I am as serve as Attorney General. Well, it looks like there's plenty to move forward with on this case. Uh, New York State Attorney General Letitia James with us. She's taking action against anti-Semitic housing practices in Chester, New York. I know you've got a busy schedule. Just two, two, uh, two more points. The first is that, um, look, you're somebody who, who, with all your positions and uh, and the amount of time you've spent in the public eye, uh, you have seen. I can imagine how many hundreds of different ethnic groups, minorities. New York's a really interesting place in that way. Not just New York City, but New York State as well. I'm sure you'd agree. And uh, for those and, and people like yourself, know that if this type of um, activity is allowed to continue, not just the Jewish community, but plenty of ethnic groups and plenty of minorities throughout the state will begin to suffer at the hands of people who are trying to do the same thing. So this is not just a Jewish issue. In reality, it's really a, a statewide issue. It's a statewide issue, and understand that discrimination is not limited to one individual group. As you know, in, um, on Long Island, there was a report by Newsday 
um, a series of reports by Newsday which indicated discrimination against African Americans with regards to housing. Right. And we're investigating that accident as well. And so, no, and not any one group, obviously, um, you know, is being singled out. This is a problem all throughout the state of New York. But given the the recent or given the increase in anti-Semitic um, attacks uh, throughout the state and throughout our country. I'm obviously particularly sensitive to this issue as it relates to the Orthodox community and the Jewish community in general. And so that's why we decided to take action to send a strong message um, that it would not be tolerated anti-Semitic conduct, behavior, attacks against um, Jewish community will not be tolerated. And, um, uh, and I'm also concerned about, you know, what happened on Long Island. Again, the desecration yeah of a sacred space on Long Island, Holocaust Museum, uh, where swastikas um, and the N-word, um, uh, you know, were left behind by vandals. Um, we will go after them. We will prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. But at the same time, we will use the full force of the law against any individual or individuals or officials who engage in blatant discrimination against any one group. And and I we appreciate you mentioning all those episodes and and you can imagine how people in our community uh, I don't want to say are walking the streets in fear that would be that would be uh, inaccurate but but certainly are more wary of things that are going on and uh, episodes that are taking place. Um, with that in mind, is 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 it more difficult for for outfits like the NYPD and state police to deal with these things? We know that there is an attitude uh, now, and the media very often. Um, uh, will uh, will uh, concentrate on it, uh, an attitude that's not very much in favor of police forces. And I know that police officers sometimes are more hesitant to take action in certain cases. Could it be that a more lackadaisical view of these types of episodes are what's leading to more of these types of episodes? Um, I, I don't think um, NYPD is lackadaisical as it comes to anti-Semitic remarks. No, I don't. I don't believe that. I believe that all of us take serious these anti-Semitic uh, remarks and acts of you know, racism and um, acts against religious organizations and a- any particular group. But I think all of us must stand together at this point in time in the history of this country and, they're not, and not allow any space be- to, between, to, to get between any of us. And it's really critically important that if anyone see anything, that individuals say something. Um, but, you know, the laws are, it's difficult oftentimes to prove, um, you know, bias uh, because of it's, it's really difficult to prove intent and to prove um, uh, the animus of any particular individual. Right. But in this case in Chester, where they said it at open hearings, right. it's recorded, and we've got emails, um, I think it's going to be uh, pretty easy to uh, maintain our burden of proof in this particular case. And I'm hoping um, that the officials will come to the table and hopefully uh, they will remove the roadblocks and that these developers can move forward and build much-needed housing, affordable housing for families in Chester and in the, in the, town, in the county of Orange, Orange hey, County. Hey, we can't thank you enough for bringing on the front lines of this battle and for really trying to help all New Yorkers all throughout the entire New York State in situations like this. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate it. Happy holidays went to all of your list listeners. Um, I look forward to having a peaceful, I hope everyone has a peaceful, happy Hanukkah. And again, we'll make sure uh, that the NYPD, the state police, my office, that we will remain, remain vigilant. 
Amen to that. And we wish you a happy holidays and certainly a very happy 2020 as the new year approaches. The New York State Attorney General, the Honorable Letitia James, on a Monday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. And I thank uh, the Attorney General for joining me over the weekend and for uh, setting aside the time for that conversation about that very important case. And uh, much, much appreciated. Monday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Listen to Devorah's on the app from Israel. She says, one of the hard parts of living in Israel is missing important family events. While I miss my brother Michael Sendorfi's special 50th birthday party this weekend, I would love to wish him a very happy birthday on the air. So, Michael Sandorfi, happy 50th birthday to you from all of us here at JM in the AM. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Echonishmas Arav Zebnabilsavalevi and here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We learn in the Talmud that Rabbi Akiva married the daughter of Kalba Savua, one of the richest people. And unfortunately, Kalba Savua did not agree with her choice for marriage. He disinherited her and told her that he will not give a penny, not towards the marriage and not towards the support. As a result of this, Rabbi Akiva and his wife lived in dire poverty. In fact, they had no mattress, they had no pillow. They had to sleep on the ground on a little bit of hay. Rabbi Akiva saw the distress that his wife was in. One day, when he was picking out the straw from her hair in the morning, he said to her, if I could, I would buy you a Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. It was a golden ornament in those days. It was like a necklace that had the entire Yerushalayim engraved on it, the city's outline. It was a very beautiful and very costly necklace. In fact, we learn that even Rabban Gamliel, the Nasi, could not afford such an expensive piece for his own wife. Rabbi Kiva saw that his wife was in distress. He saw that she felt bad. She remembered where she came from and how easy it used to be. So he said words that would comfort her. In the schus that he said these words, we know that Eliyohan Novi, Elijah the prophet, appeared at the door, knocked on the door, and when Rabbi Kiva opened it up, it looked like a very poor man. And he said, excuse me, but my wife is about to give birth and she doesn't have anything that she can lie on top of. Could you give us by any chance a little bit of hay, some straw? Rabbi Akiva did and then afterwards went over to his wife and said, you see how fortunate that we are. There are people that even poorer than we are that don't even have the straw to lie on like we do. We learned the Mepharshim tell us that Eliyoha Novi was sent into this world just to be mechazek, just to give chizuk and encouragement to Rabbi Akiva and his wife. How important it is that in this world we are sent here to give encouragement to others, to lift up other people, not chas v'shalom to make them feel bad, not chas v'shalom to tell them how they're doing the wrong thing, but rather try and correct them with love, try and inspire them, 
Tell them the good things that they're doing. Tell each other the good things that we are doing, our children and our grandchildren. That is the reason that Hashem has given us the Koyach Adibor, the power of speech, to lift up others, to inspire others, and to encourage other people. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. Lights are dim, a fire glow. You pour me wine and overflow. I lift my cup, we're on our way. My lips begin to sing your praise. Oh, blessed are you. Separates the holy from the dark. Oh, blessed are you. Separates the holy from the dark. I'm Blessed are you who separates the holy from the dark. Oh, Baruch Hashem, Hamavdil ben Kodesh You separate the holy. From the dark, fan the ashes and behold the spark. Shayam in the AM. Seventh day from the sixth day. Hamavdil done by uh, Moshe Hecht here at JM in the AM. Well, a few weeks ago, a gentleman named Joe Klein introduced himself to me via telephone and told me about a website and effort called Just One Chesed. Just one chesed. Both Joe Klein and Jerry Latinik are um, calling in live from Israel and um, are going to join us uh, to, to discuss Just One Chesed here at JM in the AM. First, Jerry. Jerry is the founder of Just One Chesed. Jerry, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you so much for having us on. A pleasure. And the Vice President of Operations is, in fact, the aforementioned Joe Klein. Joe, welcome to JM in the AM. Malcolm, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. A pleasure. All right, Jerry Latinik, tell me, why did you start, why did you found Just One Chesed? Okay, great. So, Just One Chesed, um, I started the idea a number of years ago. I was actually going through a financially difficult time, and... You know, Baruch Hashem, right before that, 
I was doing well, and I was on boards, and I was involved with a lot of organizations and helping out the community. And when I went through this time and I wasn't able to give necessarily from my own pocket the same way, it really made me think of, wow, the most important thing is that we have is our time. The most important thing we can do is everyone's got time and everyone can do a chesed. So it has nothing to do about your checkbook. It just has to do about what you can offer. And thank God everyone has so many talents and values and so many great things to offer. So that's really how it came to fruition. The idea popped in my head and said, wow, what amazing thing. We can make a one-stop shop um, for chesed. Before we discuss the nuts and bolts with uh, with Joe, um, how 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 long ago did this happen? How long ago did you did you uh, did you start the organization? So we actually only went live with our app um, in the summer, but uh, the idea came to me honestly many years ago, probably about seven eight years ago, um, and uh, took some time to take that idea and put it into action. But uh, thank God we build a web version, and then we build and just launched our app in the summertime. Uh, and really starting to push it really right about now. So um, it's kind of all coming to fruition and all coming together. Uh, Joe, how does it work? How do people get involved with Just One Chesed? What's up, Malcolm? So we, so we at Just One Chesed, um, we created a platform connecting organizations and volunteers. We found that organizations have a hard time finding volunteers. And volunteers want to do good, but sometimes they don't know where to turn. I can't tell you how many calls I get a week saying, I want to do chesed, but I don't know where to turn. Organizations don't call them back, or they just want chesed at their fingertips. There are people that coined the term for us. They, they call us the Uber for chesed. Um, I can't, we have a few stories that are success stories already. Originally, when we created our system, we created our email version, meaning you get an email every single day about chesed opportunities in your area. But now, Baruch Hashem, we realize the world moves a lot more, a lot faster. So we created our app, we created our platform, doing this all based on location. You want to go with your family to Israel. You want to spend the day in Jerusalem. You want to do a chesed. We have countless of opportunities for chesed on the app for different organizations. We're that network that no, there's no, there's no list in the quality Israel where there's an organization directory for all Jewish organizations. We're creating that as we speak, all based on location. You need something, and you're in Florida, and you want to. You want something done for you or something you need someone, you, you check up the organizations all based on location. And that's what we're doing. We're doing organization we're doing twofold. We're doing we're creating an organization directory and we're creating this Uber for Chesed idea. And when a person when an organization needs something done, they post it on our app. All the people that are in that area, in that area about ten miles away, twenty miles away, will get a notification on their app that they need a chesed. And when a person clicks volunteer, that takes them into a chat with the organization and all the volunteers that are volunteering to continue and to discuss what are the details, what needs to be done. And another thing that we're doing as we speak, we're, we're halfway done with it. We're building a way that schools, schools all over America, all the yeshiva day schools, all the modern day schools, have mandatory chesed hours. Right. So what, are the kids, what do kids usually day, do in, the, in these days? I know I was in high school not so long ago. What did I used to do? I, you go to your next-door neighbor, you babysit for 10 minutes, and you get your whole, your whole chesed sheet signed off. However, here we're, we're building a way for schools, as we are working with a bunch of schools right now who are working with us, that the students are going to be able to log their chesed hours, meaning whether it's going to empower the students, empower the organizations, and empower the schools all to come together and to build chesed hours together and to do real chesed and empower these young adults to get more 
and to build themselves more by doing something. All right. Is the app completely active at this point? The app is completely active, ready to go. You can go in your iTunes. You can go in your Android app store. You can check out the app. Our organizations are signing up daily. We have about 1,300 volunteers that are, volu- that, are, that are on the app and about 200 organizations that are already signed up. I go to meetings every day, two meetings, a, two meetings a day usually, where I'm signing up organizations. Organizations, Baruch Hashem, love it, and they can use it as a volunteer management system. And we're growing every day with our app. There's always fixes and builds and all, all this kind of stuff that we need to keep building towards the app. And uh, we keep building, Baruch Hashem. All right. Uh, so basically, anybody in their app store, uh, Google Play, etc., could search just one chesed. They're going to find your app, right? Correct. There you go. And once they're there, all the steps sound pretty easy, frankly. There you go, for sure. That's right. Jerry. That's it at your fingertips. Yeah, exactly. That's what, it's, that's what it seems like these days. It seems like everything's at our fingertips these days. Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, is this what you envisioned when you came up with this idea years ago? Yes, yes. The idea was is to really come up with a call you this idea where a pool, there's, an, there's a pool of volunteers because the one thing you should know, there are a lot of people that want to do chesed, and someone will say, I'm willing to drive someone for a chesed. So they'll get hooked up with an organization, and only when they get calls from that organization, they can do it. But right now, when you sign up and you say, I'm willing to drive, you're willing to say, I'm willing to drive for any organization. I feel it's really creating an achnes and just a feeling of it's a pool of volunteers. We're all in it together. We look at ourselves as a network. Um, of all the organizations. We try to help all the organizations, empower them, hear their feedback. When people reach out to us and they need help, we're connecting them with the organizations. We're not looking to do it ourselves. We're literally looking to be that chesed broker. (laughs) A chesed broker. That's actually a good way of putting it. Uh, Everybody go to the website, justonechesed.org, justonechesed.org, but these days it's even easier. If you're on your iPad or on your phone, uh, you could literally go to your app store, Google Play Store, etc., and uh, install the brand new app, Just One Chesed. Search Just One Chesed, and you will find it in your app store. And uh, the entire process of getting involved and becoming a uh, a member of this uh, unique club, people who are actively uh, looking to do chesed on a regular basis in their area, uh, that will uh, start almost immediately. Joe Klein, Jerry Latinic, anything you guys would like to add about all of this? I would like to add, if, if, if anyone listening out there has an organization they have in mind in their communities, um, they want them to get involved, they need help with volunteer efforts, getting more volunteers, please contact us. It's very easy to contact us, info at justonechesed.org. They can email me. We'll have a phone conversation. Anyone who wants to help in this, in this effort to build Chesed in the world, they can email us, and we can have a great conversation. Thank you so much, Malcolm. I appreciate that. Uh, Joe, Jerry, thank you both very much, and continue to continue with this thank, effort. All right. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Have an amazing day. A pleasure. You can email info at justonechesed.org, visit the website justonechesed.org, or go to your uh, app store and install the brand-new app ASAP. The, uh, the search you want to do is for just one chesed, just one chesed, and you'll be able to uh, – uh, to access that brand new app. Uh, more coming up, including a visit for Rabbi Shlomo Riskin. Uh, we have been waiting for this uh, with bated breath, having Rabbi Riskin in studio, and we look forward just a f- couple of minutes from now speaking with him live 
at JM and the AM. As tomorrow night, we have an opportunity in New York City to pay tribute to him, the Chancellor Emeritus of Oratora Stone. It's all coming up if you keep it here at JM in the AM.
все. Ей Богу, давай огурчики! Yeah, baby. 
der jeder lebt zufrieden, wie nur er geht nur wie. Er weckt sich aber also, mein Einblick Platz ist nicht du hier, weil ich weiß, in ich oft sie dem Gules kommt das auf. Bin ich dann zu Schande, du kennst an der Hand. Der Heilige ist mach Mäusche, ist als Gewinke Kleid. Mit Schabes, dem Malbischem, beim Schwelventier gestanden greift. Arosekie, mit der Schwitz auf die Bahnen, dem Tod, was ich gesehen. Wir singen an die Mamen, wie bleibt es gern noch jetzt geschehen. Sing der Jid, ein herziges Lied, in Hashem, mich als ich gewähnt. Ja, weil ich ein Jid von Maya im Kofel.
J.M. and the A.M. on a Monday morning. Those of you who know me and have been listen- regular listeners of this show over the years, uh, you can only imagine how uh, happy I am to welcome into our studio the Chancellor Emeritus of Oratora Stone. But for me, in addition to all the titles that he has, uh, to me he is a, a beloved Rebbe who I am uh, indebted to for so much, uh, so much that I've been able to do in my life and so much that goes on here at this network. 
and it is really, truly an honor to have him in studio. By the way, you can watch all of this, this entire encounter on Facebook Live. Go to facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. And it is with great pleasure that I welcome Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Riskin, the Chancellor Emeritus of Oratora Stone, into our studio. Rabbi Riskin, Boker Tov, and welcome back to JM in the AM. Boker Or, it's truly, truly a pleasure to be with you, Rabbi I am so happy. I'm so happy you're here. You, you make the effort. There are so many people who would feel that a phone call would suffice, especially in advance of tomorrow night's celebration, but you make the effort to come here to speak with this audience face-to-face, so to speak, and to and to spend some time with us, and it's much appreciated. It's more than worthwhile to be with you for a while. I appreciate that. And I'm also, as I said to you off the air, I am, uh, I am one who marvels at your energy. And I've been, as I mentioned to you, at some of your significant milestone birthdays. So I have somewhat of an idea of, of how many years you've already celebrated. And it is remarkable. And the rumor about you, and I don't think a rumor would be the right word. I think it was a fact, and it might still be a fact. You'll tell us. In Efrat, and, 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 and we'll go through Ariskin's history for those of you who are not familiar uh, in a minute, but uh, he is, of course, the chief rabbi of Efrat. And in Efrat, as the community has expanded, and now you're in the tens and tens of thousands of people in large neighborhoods and areas that were, that were nothing even, after, even years after you started, and now they are populated by so many families. The rumor was that you actually tried your hardest to be at every simcha that took place on Shabbos and Efrat. Now, I don't know if that's physically possible anymore with the expansion of the community, but are you still able to make it to many of the smachot, to many of the occasions in town? I attempt to be at everybody's bar mitzvah, Baruch Hashem. I meet with every bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah, and I attempt to, to come for Shabbat. I used to always do it completely, but now there are nine hills wow. comprising the municipality of Efrat, soon to be a city, a major city, the major Zionist city in Yehuda Shomron. Yeah. And I must admit, I go until Zayit Ranan, which is... Uh, That's far. <laughs> about an hour walk from my house. Wow. Until then, I could make it. If it's more than that, I find that for the rest of the Shabbat, I'm out of, out of service. So I, I have there's still a whole Shabbos afternoon to talk about. So uh, I can't do everything, but I do as many as I can. It's absolutely amazing. And, uh, and for those who don't realize it, because now they visit Efrat and see what it's like. You once stood uh, in front of one of those hills of Efrat where all it was was a hill. And it was your vision, with the help of, of great partners, philanthropists, etc., to build a city. It was your, it was your vision to build in, in Hare Yehuda uh, a, a Jewish town, so to speak. And, and all these years later, any, any young person or those who just don't remember the history who visited Efrat you know, would never believe that there was nothing there at one time. I prayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because I was so excited at Komedinat Yisrael and I wanted to be a chalutz again and to have the, the possibility of starting something. The idea of a frat was not mine. Mm. It was a magnificent person named Moshe Moshkovitz who's still active, still around in his 90s. And I came into the picture when Golda Meir, after the Yom Kippur War, came to see what we had held on to 
after the attack of the Six-Day War. And we won land that we always believed should be ours. They did not accept dividing the, the area, which was what the United Nations wanted to do, to give about 80% to the Palestinians and 20% to the Jews. We accepted it. They did not. They started what became initially the War of Independence, and after we won that, they were not satisfied anymore, and they went further and started the Six-Day War. Mm -hmm. And after the Yom Kippur War, we held on to everything that we miraculously won in the Six-Day War. And I was dreaming of being involved somehow to be able to have a little piece of the reestablishment of the State of Israel. And Golda Meir came and looked at the empty topography. And it's really beautiful. Hills and valleys and mountains and verdant green. Really beautiful. Magnificent. Sunrises and sunsets like you see no place else. And Golda Meir always wanted Olim to come to Israel not because they were running away but because they wanted to contribute mm -hmm. and people with education and money etc and she took a look at the topography of a, of a frat and she said you know this is the Zurich of Medinat Israel. I like to think that Zurich is the Efrat <laughs> of Europe it depends what your frame of reference is <laughs> When you meet the Swiss, you tell them that. <laughs> right. But that's what she said. And uh, I said, it is truly magnificent. And Golda Meir said to Mushko, whose idea was Efrat. First of all, that was the spot right. of the biblical Efrat, the burial place for Rachel Imenu. Mm -hmm. And of course, with all of the, the Midrashic Shavu Vanim Ligvulam that God promised Rachel Imenu. So I was very excited about that, of course. And Mushko had the vision of a city of Ephrat because it's 250 meters above Yerushalayim. So it is truly protective of Yerushalayim. And Golda Meir on the spot said, if there will be 75 families from South Africa and 75 families from North America, America, United States, that would put down $1,500 for a home in a frat, down payment, she will make sure that we get the go-ahead to begin to build the city. Mushko then looked at me because he didn't know English. Right. South Africa and New York, you had to know English. <laughs> and he knew that I had a synagogue in New York at that time. And he said, be my partner. You have to get the families. We'll build the city together. And that, that's what did it. Unbelievable. And Baruch Hashem, we got 75 families from South Africa and over 140 families from America. And we went to work. And I remind yeah. everybody that at that time, you had a very successful Lincoln Square Synagogue on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. 
very successful high school that I had the pleasure of being part of, had already made your mark in the world of Jewish education, loved and still do, but loved teaching, especially in English to Americans. Now I'm sure it's a mixed bag, right? Hebrew and English. All this was going on in your life when Mushko turns to you and says, let's build this. And I jumped at it. Did did your wife jump at it as well? Even more than I. Nashim Mechababot the Ta'aretz. The women, the women love it even more than we do. That's exactly what the Kliyakar says. Correct, that's the Kliyakar and Shlach, right. That's the Kliyakar. And because of Benot Shlachad. Right. And that's really true. There was a time when I was, I didn't have a job yet, actually, in Israel. I came every summer. And I wanted the kibbutz, right? to live. Yeah, right. kibbutz ain't soon. Right, I remember. And I came every summer. But, uh, and I worked in the refet. Right. I milked. For chicken coop, everybody. That's the chicken coop. <laughs> it was very, very nice. It was very nice. And I really loved it. Uh, and I had a good, good time to learn to teach, and I taught at the kibbutz. But I dreamt of living in a frat. And it was hard for me to get a job. But what Mushko said was very, very wonderful. Mushko said to me, get the families. Let's dream together. I can't promise you a job. But I can only tell you that if we succeed and the frat will be a flourishing community, it's very natural, he said about himself, Mm -hmm. that he would be the Rosh Hamoitza, head of the municipality, the mayor, and I would be the Rav of the the city. And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Now, being from a family that was led by a full-time pulpit rabbi, I would, I might argue, I'm referring to myself, of course, I might argue that that in and of itself would be a pretty hefty full-time job, being the chief rabbi of what eventually would become Efrat. But for you, that was not satisfactory. For you, a large educational component had to be included. Well, the educational component built Efrat. The schools, the I mean. schools built exactly. Efrat. I had to get people to come. Right. And I never looked at things as they were. I always looked at things as they were going to become. Right. But for them, in order to attract really good people, there had to be an educational system in place. So, of course, the first building in Efrat was a mikveh, as the halacha asks sure. for. And the mikveh was uh, consecrated by Eliza Begin. Wow. And she said, Menachem Begin was the one who really saved everything at the last moment for, a, for the laying of the cornerstone of Ephrat. That's another story. But Menachem Begin told me that he and Eliza, when they got married, promised each other Shabbat, Yom Tov, Kashrut, and Tarat HaMishpacha. And she never refused dedicating a mikvah. And then we built the first Torah school in yeah. Israel, Nevei Shmuel, our high school, because that was very, very important. And when people saw we had a going high school, they believed that everything will happen. 
So it was actually the schools, and then came the Upana, and then more schools, and Baruch Hashem, the rabbinical schools, mm-hmm. etc. But <laughs> and there's more coming, I'm sure. <laughs> but it was the schools that started everything. And by the way, everybody, that's one of the reasons Rabbi Riskin is here tomorrow night. We get an opportunity to support the schools and support the incredible Art Torah Stone. Uh, tomorrow night is the annual dinner and the Hachnasat Sefer Torah in honor of Rabbi Riskin, celebrating his uh, uh, his uh, tenure at Art Torah Stone and the fact that he is now the Chancellor Emeritus of Art Torah Stone. It's happening tomorrow night at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. I will be there. I'm encouraging all of you to come and participate in this unique event. You can contact the Art Torah Stone office at ots.org.il, ots.org.il, or by dialing 212 212- Nine three five eight six seven two two one two nine three five eight six seven two. And now you're Chancellor Emeritus, and I must must point out to you, not that this is going to be any news to you. Um, you know, transitions are difficult. Mimale uh, makom, or whatever word you want to use, uh, you know, the the one who eventually will be seen as the leader of the organization. It's always difficult to to make that choice and put that in place. I believe that you made an amazing choice with her by Dr. Kenneth Brander. Now, it's somebody who you and I, in different capacities, know for a long, long time, and anybody who knows this show knows that he is beloved here. Um, nonetheless, not every match is always a perfect match. In this case, I think you've chosen, not that you need my approbation, but I think you've chosen very wisely in terms of bringing in Rabbi Brander. You are so very correct. Actually, I go all the way back right. with Rabbi Brander, he was my assistant rabbi in the beginning of Lincoln Square Synagogue. Right. And he went on to Boca Raton to create a marvelous community with wonderful yeshiva schools, high school for boys and a high school for girls. So he's really a creator. Hashkafically, we're very much in sync. Both of us were very close to Rabbi Soloveitchik. He was the shamash of Rabbi right. Soloveitchik at the end of Rabbi Soloveitchik's life. So he's been a perfect fit, Baruch Hashem. And I realized when I reached 70, 10 years ago, the most important thing for me to do is to find the right Mamale Makom, the right successor. And he's proving himself to be even greater than my expectations had hoped for. So it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. It really calls for a celebration uh, for multiple reasons. Um you know, we've. I, I wonder if it's accurate to say that your role as a Jewish leader has had, how do I put this, transformations? And I'll tell you what I have in mind. I'll tell you what I have in mind. Uh, th- there's no doubt that toward the beginning of your tenure in Efrat, uh, you would have preferred to have had as close and friendly relationships with your neighbors in cities surrounding Efrat, and I'm referring, of course, to Arab cities, you would have preferred to have a, a, as as peaceful a coexistence with your neighbors as possible. Would that be accurate? Not only that, but we still have. We still have. Because the impression is that it became more difficult as the years went by. Yes and no. If you're talking about with the Palestinians themselves, the people who live there, it didn't become more difficult. Really? They're wonderful. We still have very close relations. Look, I'll tell you with all my heart, my guide is the Torah. 
The Torah has proven itself with every single prophecy. The most difficult of all the prophecies to continue to believe in, even if you're scattered to the ends of the earth, from there will God take you and bring you back. I mean, that's a magnificent promise made 4,000 years ago in our Torah Kedusha, in Devarim Periklamet. And there has never been a nation, a group of people living in a specific place for more than a hundred years that were chased off of it and came back to it. We were away from our homeland for 2,000 years. It sounds like the impossible promise, the impossible dream, Mm -hmm. and we've come back. So that from my perspective, anything and everything is possible. In the beginning, I was angry at Orthodox Jews who didn't return to Israel because I felt that... uh, How did they not get it? How did they not understand? This this is their chance. This is their opportunity. And when the Torah promises that God promises he's going to bring us back, he said it will start when you will return to your hearts and come back to the land of Israel. That's how it's going to start. Mm -hmm. So I would certainly have expected every Jew to return, every Orthodox Jew, after all. Any believing Jew. The mitzvah say in the Torah, it's that's what the Torah demands of us. And Baruch Hashem, they didn't come. I got angry. Now I'm not angry. I just feel sorry for them. I think it's better for us if you're angry. <laughs> they're missing it. They're missing it. They're really missing we it. We certainly are. And I'll tell you, I, I, I love every Jew. And I love the Haredi Jews. I love to speak Yiddish. I love to meet a Haredi Jew and talk to him in Yiddish. But if he if he's against Eretz Yisrael, if he doesn't say Halel and Yom Atzmaut, he's just not religious in my book. Just not religious. Missing God in history. And that's the worst sin I can imagine. So the Torah also tells us that Yishmael and Yitzchak will come together at the end. Right. They both buried their father, Avraham Avinu, and Yishmael did tshuva. And the nation Yishmael will do tshuva. And Yishkon, they will dwell side by side. So I'm sure there's going to be peace. And I worked from day one on peace. Now, I used to walk through the streets of Efrat, like I, the, the streets of Wadi Nis and Jortashama, like I walked the streets of Efrat. That's not possible anymore. Because of Hamas. Right. The situation changed because of the Hamas leadership that has taken over, terrorist leadership. 
that has taken over. But as far as the relationship with Palestinians themselves are concerned, it's even closer than before. And as I said, I believe the Torah says, Yishmael will do tshuva, they will do tshuva. If we live to see what we we're seeing now with Medinat Yisrael, we'll live to see that piece as well. Rabbi Shlomo Ruskin is here. Tomorrow night we celebrate with our Torah Stone at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. You can contact them at 212-935-8672. Was the most painful time for you in Israel, I'm speaking nationally, of course, right now, not not personal, Uh, in terms on the national basis, was it 2005? Was it the disengagement and watching what the Israeli government was doing during that summer? Gush Katif. Yeah. I rented a home in Gush Katif. I, w- I was there for that summer. Way before the middle of August when they actually left. Well, I, I knew there was going to be a problem. It looked very right. strongly what would happen. And I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there, first of all, to demonstrate. But second of all, to do whatever it was in my power to do that despite the fact that I think that the greatest blotch on the escutcheon of Medinat Yisrael was giving up on Gush Katif and sending away, putting back into exile Jewish people. Nevertheless, I went there as well first to demonstrate to keep Gush Katif But secondly, then, if that didn't work, to do everything in my power that no Jew would lift a hand against the IDF. Because that we dare not do. Civil war dare not occur. We lost by a Cheney because there was civil war in Israel. And Baruch Hashem, we demonstrated, but after we saw that it was too late, it was a great Kiddush Hashem how the Jews left Gush Katif. And that Kiddush Hashem, the manner in which they left, with all the respect for Tzahal, for Tzavah Haganah Yisrael, and the government of Medinat Yisrael, it made me feel very proud as well. So you're only half depressed that summer. Half of you was proud of the way things were handled. Because I think that the collective Jewish world, even outside of Israel, those who really care and those who are focused on Israel on a daily basis, I I feel that collectively we hit a terrible low during that summer. Everybody who hit a low during that summer, in order to get out of the low, come to live in Israel. Uh, Rabbi Riskin is here in studio, facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. So what do you think of us? What do you think of American Jewry, who all these years later uh, have not decided to go, who always wondered, can one make a living in Israel, and now the best jobs in the world are in Israel, who wondered if Israel will ever be independent from support from American Jewry, and we see that they are almost completely independent. I think you could really speak to that point on the front lines uh, from American Jewry at this point. Uh, I, I, I think American Jews, to an extent, feel very slighted that Israeli Jews really don't need us anymore at this point. With all that in mind, then, what do you think of 
of us back here as a community. I love you. <laughs> all of my life. That's all, that's all you have to say? <laughs> all of my life, that has been my teaching. I, I, I love all Jews, religious and non-religious. Those who don't come back to where it's Israel are not so religious. But I love you. I love you. And I never give up on you. Lincoln Square Synagogue was, I think, the first real outreach synagogue. And that's what we do. Right. They call us Chabad in Brooks Brothers suits. <laughs> we send rabbis all over the world to love Jews and to teach Jews the Torah. Yeah, as much as you want diaspora love. Jews to come to Israel, you're helping build diaspora communities. Isn't that ironic? I'm helping just to teach Jews to do what's right. And I believe if they really know, learn to do what's right, they'll come to Israel. And what's interesting is that people here, I mean, look, the United States is the United States, and this audience is quite familiar with it. People don't realize where you have emissaries. <laughs> we use the Chabad term. They don't realize that there are, you know, pretty active Jewish communities in places like, you know, name it, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Poland, now. Poland, and you have people there, or Torah graduates who are leaders there now. In Africa, the Abiyudaya, we have three communities in Africa, native Africa. You don't mean South Africa. I mean Africa, Africa. We've converted a few hundred of them. And it's an amazing, amazing, amazing story. It's a story that has to be told, actually. About 115 years ago, when England did its colonialization, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, they came into England and they went to Uganda. And the governor who was appointed to take care of the blacks from Uganda was named Kakangulu. He was a marvelous, marvelous warrior and he was a fine intellectual. And when the Brits came, the African natives, very smart people, immediately learned English. The missionaries came, and they supplied everybody with an Old Testament, mm -hmm. the, the five books of Moses, our Torah, Kedusha, mm -hmm. and the Gospels. When the British left, they put in charge in Uganda this Kakangulu. I said he was an intellectual. He read the five books of Moses. He was hypnotized. He said, this is God's word. He got very, very excited. Avram Avinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Brit Sinai, Brit Bein Abitarim first. He got very, very excited. He read the Gospels, and he thought, there's something wrong. Because in the Gospels themselves, Yeshua had a Pidyon Ben and a Brit Milah. Sounds like he's Jewish. Ate kosher. <laughs> Shabbat, not Sunday. Pesach, not Easter. So he decided that he and his people, his Africans, have to become Jewish. This is in the country of? Uganda. What? In Uganda. Africa. Right. Now, he had never seen a Jew, but he was very, very intelligent. And he knew that there were Jews in South Africa. He knew there were Jews in New York. 
and then Yerushalayim. It's like a Kuzari story. He sent out three letters to the rabbis of Jerusalem, to the rabbis of Johannesburg, to the rabbis of... New York? New York. Please send me a Jewish rabbi who has a calendar, because we have no calendar, and I know he knew how important the calendar was to keep Judaism, and will teach us how to live as Jews, because I want myself and my people to live as Jews. He included a little map exactly where he was in, in Uganda. And about nine months later, there appeared this mythical kind of personality named Yosef with calendars, teaching everybody. And they called themselves Abba Yudaya, Abba Yehuda. And they began living the, as much of Jewish lives as they had learned from him. Shabbat, Yom Tov, even Tarat HaMishpacha. And it, it was absolutely amazing. Then, of course, Idi Amin came in right. and everybody was pushed underground. And then I received, it was about 10 or 11 years ago, I got a letter from Uganda signed by two people, Moshe and Tarfon. Names, <laughs> Moshe and Tarfon. <laughs> I remember it by heart. Dear Rabbi Riskin, We've been reading your article in the Jerusalem Post for the last number of years. We've translated two years of your articles into Swahili, and we have regular shiurim on them because we're learning, we're trying to learn Torah as best as we can. We very much would love to come to your yeshiva. Wow. <laughs> If you happen to be a ritual slaughterer and you're coming to test us if we can enter your yeshiva, right. please bring your slaughtering knife <laughs> because we haven't tasted meat or chicken since we were born. Love, Moshe and Tarfon. P.S. We hear you're a nice man. We don't even have airfare. I was very excited. I always took, take one of my grandchildren on a little trip for the, right before the Bar Mitzvah. And I had a very precocious grandson who learned Shrita because that was one avoda where all Kohanim. Right. And his Bar Mitzvah was Parashat Ambar, which is also my Bar Mitzvah, etc. And uh, he wanted to do learn that avoda. Today he's a vegetarian. I think <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be there quite. But that that that's that was what he learned. And I decided to take him with Ari Greenspan, who's a shochet. To Uganda, yeah, we know Ari well. To Uganda, he went. To, he's open to all of these right. kind of trips. So you, you took know. your grandson and Ari, and you flew to Uganda. And we flew to Uganda. First Nairobi, they had invited us for a long time, so I, I came to, to Nairobi first, and then Uganda, and 
we have now three communities with a mikvah, with an Eruv, each one of them. We, the Ari Yeshiva Machanaim or Torah Stone, I'm, I'm uh, Chancellor Emeritus, but I'm still one of the Rosh Yeshiva Baruch Hashem, and I'm still very much involved in teaching and writing. And uh, it's, it's marvelous. You know, there are, people, uh, there are people in rabbinic positions who do not encourage people of, of unusual backgrounds to become Jews. I've always admired the fact that if someone wants to make a commitment to be part of our people, that you and many in Israel, but some around the world as well, certainly welcome them. And I think it's, I think we could, using the Torah as our guide, I think we are obligated to welcome them. Exactly. Just like I have no real respect for Jews who call themselves religious but don't say Hallel on Yom Atzmaut, I have no real respect for anyone who apparently never studied Sefer Rut, Megillat Rut, and the 36 times that variations of the theme of the Ahavta Metager is discussed within the Torah, and Emunot Videot very clearly says that the mitzvah of the Ahavta Metager begins when a person is showing some interest in Yiddishkeit. And the Gemara in Brachot, Yonvav, Rav Shimon ben Elazar, that kulam yitgairu bimota Mashiach. We are very close to bimota Mashiach. We have Medinat Yisrael. Isn't that one of the greatest signs? Kulam yitgairu. And the Rambam and Hilchot Melachim paskins that. Kulam yachzru ledata emet. Data emet, the true religion for the Rambam was Judaism. Kulam yitgairu. So they don't understand halacha, unfortunately, if you're on time. Rabbi Shlomo Riskin is here tomorrow night, the annual dinner for our Torah Stone, the Hachnasah Sefer Torah, in honor of Rabbi Riskin. We're encouraging everybody to be at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. You can still place a reservation by dialing 212-935-8672 or going to the web at ots.org.il, OTS. Dot org, dot il. As the as the clock continues to move, because there's never enough time when you're here, uh, there's another couple of questions I need to ask, and then we're going to get to some quotes of yours that I like using. Uh, on the question, um, there are those... Let me ask it this way. Uh, how do you feel knowing that there are religious Christians in the U.S., but other places as well, who are more... To, for whom Israel is more beloved than some members of the Jewish community. It puts the Jewish community to shame. And that happens to be exactly the case. I love the evangelicals. They're good Zionists. We have, they're wonderful Zionists. One of my good friends, really good friends, has become Pastor Hagee. San Antonio, Texas. He has a ministry of millions. And he is one of the greatest Ohavei Israel lovers of Israel in the world that I've ever met. And takes takes great criticism for it from many. For those of you who think that, you know, that he's doing it without criticism or without, you know, being targeted by certain people. Everybody is criticized. <laughs> if I was uh, if I if I was frightened of criticism, I would never open my mouth. I wear it as a badge of honor and pride. 
and and really there are many many Christians who are very very supportive of Israel, and Pastor Hagee was instrumental in President Trump, who I believe is a gift to the Jewish people. When President Trump said what he said in terms of Jerusalem being the capital of Israel. In terms of the West Bank, it wasn't President Trump; it was the the American State Department, right. even even by President even Trump, a bigger country, which is even a bigger coup d'état, right. exactly. Uh, to a great extent, Pastor Hagee was influential in those decisions. Yeah, we should be careful because there are many people in the Jewish community who think it was done for them. We should keep in mind that it was some of the great Zionists who happened to be from the non-Jewish community that likely had great influence on the president to make that Precisely decision. So. Precisely yeah. so. A couple of quotes that I always use of yours. There are a couple of quotes of yours that I, that I don't want to use in this in this forum because some of them are really, uh, you know, accurate. They accurately target segments of our community that sometimes need a wake-up call. But I'm going to avoid those for today. And go to these. Up to you. It is. I know it's up to me, and I, I'm going to use my discretion. Uh, you've just you, you've you've encouraged us not to use Israel as Disneyland, but to treat it as our motherland, because in fact that's what it is. And this was a, a result of all the discussions we've had during the times when people stopped visiting Israel. It's one thing that you're speaking to some people today who've never moved to Israel. There are people who actually canceled trips to Israel. Because of certain situations. But it was dangerous. And that's what I would always say. It's not Disneyland. You go if the weather is nice. You don't go if the weather is not so nice. It's not Disneyland. It's motherland. And you visit your mother, especially when she's not feeling well. Or during dangerous times. During dangerous times. Um, And I think that's important to point out because, again, even we as tourists and visitors can also make a statement when we don't cancel trips and when we don't allow circumstances to prevent us from I'll going. I'll tell you what I don't understand, and, and that's you, you hit it right on the head. I don't understand people traveling long distances, Pesach, Sukkot, and not to Israel. If you're getting on a plane already for one of the major chagim. And paying for your whole family. And paying for the whole family, exactly. And when, after all, we are talking about times when the Jews would always be all the regal wherever they lived in the world. Don't go to Cairo. So, right, right, right. <laughs> there are people who go to Egypt. for <laughs> That may be an exaggeration, but you get my point. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Come to Israel. And if you can afford a second home, Make it in Israel. And there's a quote of yours I use so often, and I hope I've gotten it right over the years. And I'm so curious about your comment now that, you know, the years continue to move on. You said to me once, I think it was on the air, you said, I stopped fearing death when I had my first grandchild. And I think about this often, having just married off our first kid and not having parents anymore. Life is much different. I tell people who have lost both parents that it is very different having lost one parent and having lost both. It is a completely different experience. You're a yatom. Even if you're a grandparent, you're a yatom. You're an orphan, no matter what. In fact, someone, when I walked into a shiva call in the mid-'80s, and you know this person, they had lost their their second parent, 
and he turned to me and said, I'm an orphan. And I, and I so, somewhat minimized what he said. After I lost my mother, I called him to apologize. This is in 2015, many years later. I called him to apologize because now I understood what he meant, and it's much different. But you said I stopped fearing death when I had my first grandchild. Is that, is that, am I quoting you accurately? Very accurately. There's a little... <laughs> it's a little... A, little, uh, a nuance? That. Yeah, the one nuance. It was the Leila Seder. I, my family was one which tried to shield us from death. Mm. And, for example, I was very close to my grandparents. My grandmother was my greatest influence. Right. My, You've my written about her. You're Chavrusa for a while. And taught me Gemara, yeah. my first Gemara Rebbe. Was your grandmother. Was my grandmother. That's where my feminism comes from. Mm-hmm. So I, I always felt very strongly about that. But like, for example, my grandfather died. I was 10 years old, and I was very close to them. I never heard about it. You were never told. I was never told. I was never taken to the cemetery. During the shiva, my parents told me, and I made a shiva call, obviously. I was 10 years old. Right. But... They never told me about the death. They felt cemeteries, you had to shield your children from them. And it did the opposite. It caused me, as, as you said correctly, to fear death. And the first time that We I, should note you spend very little time on cemeteries because you're a coin. Right. But as a, as a cut-on, would you have gone? To, to be honest, I don't know how it works. I'm not a co-aid. I don't know how it works. But. No, what I probably would have, what I, what I would have done, because subsequently I did go to right. the family. It's in Washington Cemetery. That our family had the plots in Brooklyn, and I would stand outside right. the fence. Right. And then later, as a rabbi, I've had to right. work that that out all the time. Mm-hmm. And it always works. It right. Always works. So they shielded you and and had the opposite effect. I saw, and then my oldest grandson, Yosef, he was three years old. He was at the Seder. He said the Manishtana. Mm -hmm. I was watching him. I was completely fixated on him. (laughs) And I said to my wife, you know, Yos is just like me. And my wife, who is scrupulously honest and says whatever she thinks, she says, well... You have no neck, and he has no neck. <laughs> Maybe that's the similarity that you see. Because you, you had meant, however. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but uh, I really felt, in his way, in what he was, and I really felt the continuity, mm-hmm. very, very deeply and profoundly. And that's Yaakov Lomet, Mazaro B'chayim and now God has been so wonderful to me. I have four great-grandchildren. Wow. In your which book. I never dreamt would ever happen. And that's the continuity of the Binyana Dayad, which is still my favorite bracha under the chuppah. God gave us the opportunity to have a building forever children, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren. It's wonderful. And now, with the with all the years going by, you get to look back on an incredible number of decades, experiences, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, 
there is some, even though older age, I am sure, I wouldn't know, of course, but older age has its drawbacks, it must be an amazing feeling being able to look back like that. It is magnificent, filled with hakaratato. And the bracha which I make, I think, with, with most kavana every morning, is Baruch Hashem HaMechin I really believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has prepared my steps in a marvelous, marvelous way. And I'm very grateful. I've been able to live a life of Torah. And there's nothing better and nothing more important and nothing that is more light. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful privilege. And to see Talmudim, Talmudim are also children yeah. in a very deep way. You have a lot of children. And to see that development in Baruch Hashem, generation of Rabbanim too and Machanchim too, has been a wonderful, wonderful privilege. Two quick things, and I know we have to wrap up. Um, we can't be together, you and I, now during this first year and not mention Sherwood. And you have to tell this audience why Chazen Gaffin was such an effective partner for you, first at Lincoln Square Synagogue and really throughout your entire career? Chazen Gaffin was really like my brother. We were extremely close. It began with Yeshiva University seminars. Hmm. And we had become a team before I, I had smicha. I was still studying for smicha. And they would send us out all over the world. Well, not all over the world, all over America. Right. To many places within the United States. And CSY, mm-hmm. Akiva. And we were a two-man team. I, unfortunately, can't <laughs> sing an out. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm very grateful to Akadosh Baruch that I have a wonderful son, Yoni, who's with me in our Torah Stone. And really very special. And he can hold the tune. No, no, he's about Tfila. Oh, even better. He's about Tfila. Wherever I am in the world, (laughs) the first day Rosh Hashanah, I have to listen to him. Baruch Hashem. He's about Tfila. Excellent, excellent, excellent. I'm laughing only because this has been a... A joke among your Talmudim for decades, as you know. That you know, and when you did that duet with Sherwood, which was, you know, you remember the duet I'm referring to. In a, what do you mean, Asukala? Asukala, you remember? What it, do you it, mean? It, when you, when it, you, it was by the time I really came out of my debut. Correct. When you did that debut, we we were sort of like we were sort of like it was in Lincoln Center. <laughs> it was magnificent. Alice Could Tully you imagine Hall. that I was at Alice Tully Hall <laughs> singing with Sherwood Goffin? My and, favorite year song, Asukala. And your Talmudimers are sitting there saying, you know what, he almost got it. He almost did a pretty good job. <laughs> it, was just, it was wonderful. It was really he wonderful. was so great that I didn't even mess him up. <laughs> so, you know, it was, but we were really very, very, very close. And I knew very, very well that, you know, the Torah is called the Torah. And the Torah is also called a shir, Parshat Vayelech, right. song, shira. Right. Halacha, which is sechel, higayon, brain, intelligence, 
and Shirah, which is song, heart, emotion. Mm -hmm. And the two are critical. Critical. Schumann understood that very strongly, and therefore he sang beautifully, beautifully, and beautiful Nigunim, and knew how to fit the Nigunim into the Nusach of the Tefillah, because the Nusach of the Tefillah is first and foremost. That was and anyone Skarbava. Who knew, anyone who knew him that was knew him. that was his first rule. And, and I loved him, and we were very close, and he would sing, and I would speak. And I planned to go into Galach. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a Rosh Hashiva always. I wanted to teach Torah. I didn't think of the pulpit rabbinate. And he was studying to be a psychologist. And we used to joke after every seminar, and he would say to me, but if you decide to take a shul, just call me. So when Lincoln Square Synagogue worked out, and it was about Shuvashul. And it was clear to me that I couldn't do it without him. That I needed someone with a song, with a neshama, with a spirit. With... So they said to me, was, I didn't take any money in the beginning because there was no mechitza. When the mechitza came in, Baruch Hashem, which was pretty soon after I came. Right. The mechitza came in. So they wanted to give me $10,000. I was teaching at Yeshiva. I was making $4,200 a year. I thought I was a real gvir. <laughs> I was just married. I had my first child. I was very excited about that kind of salary. Uh, they said to me, listen, now you can take a salary from us. So that's wonderful. We'll give you $10,000 and give up Yeshiva University. I said, no, no, no. I want to continue, continue teaching at Yeshiva University. I love to teach. I want you to give $5,000 of the $10,000 you want to give me to share with Gotham. Because there must be a chazan with me. Otherwise, I can't be the rabbi. You've had this remarkable ability to surround yourself with... You, you choose people really well. And there's a list of them, including Ray Brander, who we spoke about, who I could cite that during your career were really essential partners for you. Uh, in all of this, and that's uh, it's a wonderful talent to have, and also it's a good talent to have to be able to defer to somebody to let them use their expertise to help you accomplish it's your goal. Crucial, no one alone can ever do it, right? You know, I'll tell you, there's a marvelous Gemara, a, mar- a marvelous Gemara in Brochus, Shlosha Chalamot Emete, Omer Rabbi Yochanan. There are three. Greens. Shalosh chalomot emete. Chalom shal shachar. Chalom im pitaron betocha chalom. And chalom sha anashim achedim gam cholmim oto chalom. A dream of shachar, of mourning. M O R N I N G. Which I believe means two things. First of all, to dream when you wake up. If you only dream when you sleep, nothing happens to those dreams. (laughs) But if you continue to dream when you're awake, then there's a chance something is going to happen. The second thing is a chalom of geula, shachar, stands for redemption, the morning star. Mm 
And thousands and thousands of us have become beneficiaries of those dreams. And you've really taught us how to dream also, so many of your Talmidim, and I appreciate that very much. And I thank you, and I wish you Mazal Tov, and I cannot thank you enough for being here today to to kick off this Manhattan celebration that's going to continue tomorrow night. <laughs> well. It's a pleasure to see you, really. Thank you so much. And I give you all my best. Oh, as well. I certainly will. I encourage everyone to be there tomorrow night, the annual dinner of our Torah Stone, Nachnasat Sefer Torah, in honor of the Chancellor Emeritus Rabbi Shlomo Riskin. It happens at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. You can call them now at 212-935-8672, 212-935-8672, or log on at OTS.org.il, OTS.org.il. And, of course, my thanks to Rabbi Shlomo Ruskin. Now, those of you who want to see the video and the conversation, Facebook.com slash Nachum Siegel Network. Achenu Yisrael and Achim our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the Nachum Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. And that wraps things up. A wonderful Monday. I thank Rabbi Riskin for being here. Thanks to all of our guests. Tomorrow morning we're back starting at 6 a.m. Mayor Weingarten is next with the uh, Israel show. He'll explore a whole bunch of what's happening in Israel, including, of course, the what seems to be inevitable, and that is the uh, next election in the state of Israel and plenty more. It's all coming up if you keep it here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Yoni Pollock with After Further Review at 10 o'clock. Jake Novak with Novak now at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And I thank all of you for tuning in. Have a fabulous Monday till tomorrow. Malcolm Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.